Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 142, and it's 27th of September, 2020. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Pretty quiet. Um, the main thing that I've done that's Star Wars related is listen to the Afra audiobook, which we're going to discuss later. Um, so yep, that was fun. Um, and obviously also since we last recorded, the Mandalorian trailer has come out for the second season. So that's a little bit exciting. Um, and yeah, I look forward mm-hmm. to discussing both of those things. How about you, Kirsty? Yeah, same. And uh, just finished Afra last night. Um, and the, the Mandalorian won a bunch of Emmys as well. That was a nice surprise. Yes. No, it was really nice to see those wins. I feel like... Every single Emmy that it won, it was very well deserved. Particularly one, but I will save that for when we actually get to the <laughs> Emmy discussion. Like, the spoilers. I have a feeling it might be the same one, but we'll see. Yeah. That I think, I don't know. We'll see just how in sync <laughs> we are, yeah. <laughs> Look forward to that. Okay. Yeah, so the first thing we want to talk about is the Mandalorian trailer for the second season. Um, so, yeah, Kirsty, what were your first impressions of the trailer? How successful did you feel it was at letting us know what's going to be going on? My first impression was that it was really, really dark and I was struggling <laughs> to see anything because yes. I was trying to watch it quickly on my phone. Sure, yeah. Um, so it wasn't until I watched it a second time that on my laptop that I was actually able to take things in and kind of see what they were doing. And I mean, it was clear from the start, you could see, and we anticipated this, that there would be a lot of Baby Yoda. Yes. So they know their main pull. <laughs> <laughs> they know what they have. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. I agree with the quality of the visuals because The Mandalorian is the sort of show where it looks really beautiful in terms of the quality of the effects. The team behind all the visual stuff, they've done a great job. It looks fantastic. It almost looks movie quality, to be honest, a lot of the time. They go for this sort of like grungy look, I guess like reminiscent of the originals. It's quite like Solo as well, isn't it? Yes, that's a really good point. It's very similar to the Solo aesthetic. Um, And I do think it looks nice. But yeah, you need to see it on like a big high quality screen to really appreciate what they're doing. It does not translate well to phone screens, alas. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot in there that did actually remind me of Solo, the story as well, like the fighting and like barroom brawl and that. Um, But yeah, it had had a nice feel to it. It kind of got me a bit more interested in where things are going to go for these characters. Yeah. So basically the point of this trailer is to remind us like of where we left off with season one, because Mm -hmm. the whole voiceover of this trailer is the armorer basically explaining that the Mandalorian has to take the child to its new home, whether that's its own species, whether that's the Jedi, etc., etc. And obviously on the quest to reunite the child with its future you know wherever it's going to end up the mandalorian obviously faces a bunch of people who don't want him to keep the child so very much like season one essentially um it's like the child is the ultimate MacGuffin, isn't it and everyone wants the child yeah it's just ramped up um i did think it was funny that as the armorer was talking and like setting out you know kind of what we'd predicted like from based on season one this is kind of where everyone thought it was going he would eventually have to take baby yoda back to where he belonged um he's like wait you want me to do this it's like i think you brought this upon yourself mate 
<laughs> yeah, it's like, what did you expect? Did you just think the armor was going to take over? It's like, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but that's sexist, just because it's a lady. <laughs> it's great to see the armor back, though. I like her a lot. Yeah. No, she's a really cool character. I hope she like continues to have a role in the new season. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't quite sure what was going to go on, whether he was going to reunite with them and then... I don't know whether we would see more of like the Mandalorians or he'd be off with Baby Yoda. Yeah, so they all like disperse, don't they, yeah. at the end of season one. They yeah. abandon the Enclave. Yeah, and I guess they have to remind us that like Grief Karga and Caraduna together, like they've separated from Din as well. Yeah, no, I must say that because of recent events of Gina Carano, it wasn't the greatest feeling to see Kara in the character in the trailer. And to be honest, I really hate feeling that way, you know, because the actress has basically made some stupid anti-trans tweets, anti-Black Lives Matter tweets, lots of pseudoscience and bullshit, essentially, on Twitter. And it it sucks, you know, because I can't separate what the actors do from the characters they play completely you know like it is in my mind when I watch them so yeah that's a bit of a bummer yeah it's a real shame and yeah it didn't seem to come across that she understood that she was being hurtful yeah or or maybe she did I don't know I don't know how intentional it was at first I kind of got the impression that she was just a bit ignorant of the issues and then kind of doubled down on it apparently after even speaking to Pedro Pascal about it and it was just I don't know really disappointing and like you say it can't help but color your enthusiasm for seeing more of that character in the show in general and I hate that it does that yeah but we we only saw her for a second so maybe she won't be in it that much we'll see yeah and I must say with season one they obviously promoted Kara a lot in advance of the show coming out and she's really not in season one all that much She's in maybe two or three episodes. Um, And even in those episodes, she's very much like a supporting player. And yeah, she's not like an insignificant character by any means, but she's certainly not the centre. And yeah, based on what's happened, I hope she doesn't get a significant upgrade, (laughs) basically. I think they wanted to show us that they have some female characters, (laughs) even if they're not leads. Because I guess Kara would probably be classed as a lead because there are so few main characters like it kind of is just the mandalorian and the child but um yeah apart from her amira and um who's the character who is it natalia tanner yes tonks from harry potter yeah yeah the twi'lek i can't remember her name same i can't remember the character's name but yeah she was like one of the few prominent female characters in the first season um yeah because the armor is like is is really interesting like you you get a sense that she has a really interesting story of her own but mostly what she's doing with him is kind of exposition right yeah exactly she's basically like a quest giver from a video game you know she's like a non-playable character who gives you all the exposition and tells you where you need to go next maybe we'll get more to her fingers crossed i'd love it if she kind of became the the female lead yeah i w- i would be completely cool with that um, we do also get a glimpse of another female character in this trailer. It's a um, woman wearing a hood, like looking very much like a Padme handmaiden, to be honest, with the look that she has. Um, although it's just a generic Star Wars hood, so maybe that's just what ladies wear in the Star Wars universe. Um, but yeah, I don't know her, but apparently that is WWE superstar Sasha Banks. Um, have you heard of this person, Kirsty? 
Well, since listening to people's trailer reactions, I have, but <laughs> hadn't before then. Right, okay. So you're not a big WWE fan? Not these days. <laughs> Did you honestly used to be? Uh, well, my, my brother watched it a lot when we were growing up. Oh, so, cool. And that was when like The Rock was big and yeah, Steve yeah. Austin and that. and So like vaguely in the background, I had an awareness of, but not these days. Right. Like, I'd never heard of Sasha Banks. Um, and isn't Gina Carano? She's a wrestler too. I, I hadn't heard of her before either. Yeah. No, I hadn't heard of either of them. It's definitely not my scene, shall we say. I'm not a huge <laughs> wrestling but fan. But I assume it means that this character will have some impressive action scenes too. I'm, I'm assuming that's why they go after these these people to play parts yeah so i i can only think it's got to be like quite a demanding physical role because yeah otherwise yeah. why would you hire a wrestler to do that performance but i've heard that there's a lot of theorizing that, that character's sabine wren but i'm not sure why because <laughs> it kind of it connects with what they're saying about the sorcerers right so you'd kind of assume that that character is going to be a jedi yes no especially as she does like that whole disappearing thing you know yeah no i've seen so much like discourse about like this character being sabine and i'm just like it's really not guys <laughs> it's like please and like recently there yeah. was like a, a brief firestorm on twitter where people thought a particular actor was going to be playing ezra bridger um you, you actually sent me a link <laughs> well, like, to i it, can Kirstie. understand why a bit from that yeah it was like he kind of suggested that he was yeah yeah no he was completely teasing it he very much wanted that to be a thing um i have no idea if it actually will be a thing i, I sense not based on his follow-up tweets but yeah like it, i guess it's inevitable with star it's wars it's been a long-standing dream of his to be in star wars so right like, yeah no which is fair yeah. And I don't know, I guess with this sort of thing where people see a woman and uh, like in a particular part of the timeline and their instant reaction is, oh, it's got to be Sabine, you know, and this is inevitable with Star Wars. It's such a big, expansive mythology and there's so many characters people love from different kinds of media, etc, etc. But it's like, can't they just be a new person with their own story? Can they just like not constantly pull things from rebels and all these other properties you know why can't the mandalorian just be its own thing but yeah we're gonna have to see so i know there's rumors about ahsoka for example being in this new season and boba fett yeah and boba fett and i don't know i just really hope it doesn't become too gimmicky in that way you know i want it to be a story about the mandalorian and the child i don't want it to be oh look at this old thing that you recognize yeah, no, I get you. I think I'm not even invested enough. To, <laughs> this sounds bad. I'm not even invested enough to have a strong opinion on that. Like, mm. they're going to do what they're going to do and I'll, I'll either like it or I won't. Yeah. I, I totally get having that preference because that in general is my attitude towards Star Wars as well. But I've kind of learned to lower my expectations on that kind of thing because getting the impression that Lucasfilm really, really love to interconnect everything, um, including ringing in all those characters all the time and making familial connections. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we'll just see how they'd play that. <laughs> well, because, like, the Boba Fett thing, you know, at the end of it, is it episode five, where it's kind of hinted that that might be who that is. Yeah. Um, I think that's the kind of thing. It could be done really well, and it could be done in a really cheesy, contrived awkward way so yeah. we just have to see yeah no i think that's the reasonable response to have to be honest because they could do all the things that are being rumored it could have the whole cast of rebels it could have boba fett it could have palpatine who knows um like or, <laughs> like bring the whole gang along why not um and they could execute it in an amazing way that makes me go holy shit this is awesome you know and then i'll like it 
basically I'll only dislike it if they like make a pig's ear of it. So yeah, it's just mm-hmm. gonna have to be a wait and see thing. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Okay, cool. Um, any more thoughts on the trailer, or are you happy to move on? Uh, I guess if we were doing a scene by scene breakdown, would have more to say, but. I don't know. It just—it was nice to see a variety of planets. I know some people are sick of Tatooine, but I kind of anticipated that we'd be going back there because that's where the whole Fennec Shand mystery is. Yes. Um. So I—I I would hope that we would get some answer to that as to whether she's still alive or what was going on with the person who came up to her body there. Yeah, I really um, hope she is still alive. That was such a waste of that character. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So that's kind of that's like my one hope. Yeah. <laughs> for this season. Um, but beyond that, I don't really have any firm predictions or expectations. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was cool to just see a variety of environments and then kind of like on that dock, it almost had like a resistance vibe and then getting on the boat and everything. It was just kind of cool to see them taking this journey and I guess we'll see where it takes them. Yeah, and I think with the trailer, it's also worth stating that I don't think this will be the last trailer we see for this new season. Oh, really? Yeah, I reckon we'll get another one. Oh, I kind of figured it was. Okay. Yeah, like, I, I feel like this is more of a teaser because there's no, there's very limited story information in this. I know, but we're just trailer. so close already. Yeah, like, I reckon they might do one, like, a week out, two weeks out, you know, just to really build the hype and remind people that it's oh. really close. Um, okay. So that is often the format for these streaming things. It's different from, like, a traditional movie or a TV show. Um, everything's in a much more condensed timeline but we'll see I might so you have think, egg on my face so you think that would be like a full trailer as opposed to just like a TV spot or something I, I think so yeah I, I'll bet you five pounds Kirsty <laughs> if you want to stake <laughs> that high sum no <laughs> I won't actually claim that off you but yeah we, we have made a bet no I just hadn't I honestly I hadn't given it much thought I kind of assumed this would be it because we're so close but yeah this is the end of October right that is coming yeah yeah no i think there's time we'll see um okay okay, cool so the next thing that we want to discuss is that the mandalorian has had a very impressive number of wins at the emmys could you read the little spot about it from starwars.com that i've included in the notes Mm -hmm. kirsty StarWars.com is thrilled to report that The Mandalorian, the live-action Star Wars series chronicling a lone gunfighter's struggle to protect a young alien being known only as the child, actually it's Baby Yoda, has been honoured with seven Emmy Awards. Outstanding music composition for a series, original dramatic score, chapter 8, Redemption. Outstanding stunt coordination for a drama series, limited series or movie. Outstanding cinematography for a single camera series, Half Hour, Chapter 7, The Reckoning. Outstanding production design for a narrative program, Half Hour, Chapter 1, The Mandalorian. Outstanding sound editing for a comedy or drama series, an animation, Chapter 1, The Mandalorian. Outstanding sound mixing for a comedy or drama series, Half Hour, an animation, Chapter 2, The Child. Outstanding special visual effects, Chapter 2, The Child. The Lucasfilm and Disney Plus series, created by John Favreau and executive produced by Favreau and Dave Filoni, received a total of 15 nominations across 12 categories. Okay, so the reason I'm laughing <laughs> is because of just the sheer ridiculousness of these like categories for the nominations. There must be like about 100 categories, right? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I didn't realise that they nominated like specific episodes for specific categories. Yeah. I just thought it was the show. 
you know yeah no same like if i feel like it's making their lives like horrendously complicated <laughs> i mean what do they do that do they just put forward every episode just in case and then see if one of them wins that's a really good point like so i guess here they've got at least four episodes represented because episodes one two seven and eight all got wins which is interesting because like the fan favorite seems to be episode three right yeah or at least it was early on. Maybe that's changed now the whole season's been out. I'm not sure. Yeah. Chapter 3 was definitely one of the more exciting episodes. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a surprise to not see that represented somewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I think these are all great wins. Um, and let's find out whether we both are most <laughs> happy about the same win. For me, it's got to be the music. How about you, Kirsty? Yes! 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 Ludwig! Go, Ludwig! Yeah. No, the music was so, so good. Like, I honestly think that's the best non-John Williams Star Wars music we've had yet. And I do think we've had I really good so. Star Wars music, you know, between Rogue One, Solo, and The Mandalorian. But Exactly. I was going to say, the others have been really strong, so it's not, like, by a wide margin, but I just, I really love this music. Yeah. No, exactly. I feel like he does something so cool and interesting because it's, he's not like tied to the John Williams style of composition in a way that I feel like Michael Giacchino was for the Rogue One score, which is a really good score, but is very much trying to emulate that classical mode of Star Wars music. I feel like with The Mandalorian, Ludwig, he really goes all out to create something that's really cool and new and original and yeah it just gives the whole show a great vibe yeah i think with rogue one they really had a tough time because they obviously had a serious time crunch it's actually amazing that that score is as good as it is oh yeah from a practical sense but also because it was like the first of the spin-offs from the disney era and it was a it's a movie and it's so embedded within that specific timeline and I know we've talked about it before, The Mandalorian is in that it's like after Return of the Jedi, it's still kind of tied to the original trilogy, but it's also free in different ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, they obviously felt that they could do something a bit more different and out there. And um, yeah, they're reaping the rewards. Exactly. Hopefully Ludwig gets to score a Star Wars movie someday. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, it would be so good. It's nice to see them kind of stepping away from... and. You know, not in a disrespectful way, because obviously John Williams' music will be forever tied to Star Wars, but like to show that you can do other things, because I know a lot of fans have been worried about the fact that he won't be involved anymore. It's like, will it be the same? And it's maybe it won't be the same, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Because Star Wars does desperately need to evolve <laughs> in various aspects, um, including the music. Um, and yeah, like uh, for a bunch of these other awards that it won, like it mostly ended up winning like technical awards. So for like sound and visual effects and stunts. And I feel they're all amply well deserved, to be honest, because I feel those are the areas where it really excelled. So mm -hmm. yeah, whoever made the decisions at the Emmys, I feel they made good choices. Yeah. Visual effects for chapter two, that struck me because that's a really interesting episode and in that there's barely any human to human interaction. Actually, I don't think there's any because he's just talking to the Ugnor and the Jawas. Yes. And then there's the, is it the Mudhorn? What it's called? Yeah. The egg. Um, yeah, it's just very interesting episode. Yeah. So it makes sense for that to get visual effects because that's mostly what's happening. So Yeah. 
No, it's like it is amazing to watch The Mandalorian. It's easy to forget the extent to which that world is completely virtual. So there's very little in the way of actual real physical sets in that show. And yeah, like it's very impressive how great it all looks. So, and really it's a credit that you look at it and you're not thinking, oh, this was all done through like sophisticated computers. Like you just buy mm-hmm. it as the environment is purporting to be. So, yeah, it's a real credit to the team. Definitely. I think, well, as a result of its success and the award that has been given here as a result, I think we'll see a lot more of that kind of, is it volume? Is that what they call it? Yeah, there is some that specific kind of word, but I'm not 100% sure what it is. But yeah, no, you're right. I think the technology will become more widespread. Which is what Star Wars has always been known for. Yeah. So they're carrying on George's tradition. Exactly. I think my only hope would be that they don't lose sight of the importance of having like real environments for the actors to like bounce off of in terms of their performances. So I do think it can really help actors when they have a real physical environment to start from when they're building their characters and figuring out where they are in a particular setting. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think there's a good balance to be struck. It's just finding the right one. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, in that case, I think we're ready to move on to our main discussion of the Afra audiobook. Are you ready, Kirsty? Yes, but I do want to put like a bit of a disclaimer up top. Mm-hmm. I have been sick this week, and so I've been kind of trying to get through this audiobook through varying stages of consciousness Aww. and alertness. <laughs> so I've read it, or I've listened to it, I should say, and I've enjoyed it, but I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to recall. So maybe you will be able to jog my memory a bit. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No. It's probably not going to create a very engaging discussion for listeners, so apologies in advance. Oh, do not apologise. It's not your fault for being poorly. I'm glad that Kirsty is well enough to do this with me today. <laughs> so yeah, she's a proper hero, guys. She did not want to let you down, so that's why we're here doing wow. this right now. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll see how well we do. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so in terms of a starting point for jogging your memory, I will read out the premise of the audiobook, because I also want to familiarise people with it who might not necessarily have listened to it yet. And by the way, this discussion will include full spoilers, just so you're aware. So here's the synopsis. Dr. Chelly Lona Afra, rogue archaeologist, is in trouble again. A pioneer in the field of criminal xenoarchaeology, Afra recognises no law, has no fear, and possesses no impulse control. To her, the true worth of the galactic relics she discovers isn't found in a museum, but in an arsenal. This viewpoint has led to a lot of misunderstandings. After her latest plan goes horribly wrong, her roguish ways are on the verge of catching up to her, when suddenly Darth Vader, terror of the galaxy, swoops in with his lightsaber ignited and saves her life. Don't get her wrong, it's not like she's ungrateful. Sure, her new boss is a lord of the Sith. And okay, she may have just become a pawn in the deadly game being played by him and his boss, who happens to be the Galactic Emperor. And yes, the life expectancy of anyone who disappoints Vader can be measured in seconds. But she's back doing what she does best. She's got a ship to fly, a heist to pull, and two unorthodox but effective metal buddies. Triple Zero, a protocol droid specialising in etiquette, customs, translation and torture. And BT-1, an astromech loaded with enough firepower to take down a battlecruiser. Together, they might just find a way to get the job done and avoid the deadly performance review that waits at its conclusion. Just kidding, she's doomed. 
So yeah, that's the pitch for the drama on the publisher's website. And this audiobook was written by Sarah Kuhn. Um, so yeah, let's start off with general thoughts. So what are your general thoughts on this audio drama, Kirsty? I thought it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought Emily Wuzella was amazing as Dr. Aphra. Yes. And that's a huge part of your enjoyment, whether you find that to be a good performance or not, I think would make or break it. Um, and to me, she was just so compelling and charismatic and just kind of kept you engaged. Um, because it's a format where she's basically like keeping this audio log, right? And over the course of the story, I mean, it's kind of obvious from the beginning who she's writing it for, but there's like this pretense that she's just keeping this general professional log for her own purposes, but actually really it's about how she feels about Sana. Yeah. No, which is one of the things I appreciated about it because I like how this and Jedi Lost have both used that audio drama format in interesting ways because it's not like a straight audio delivery of a fictional story. Like they do Mm. try to present the idea that it's like found recordings. So in Jedi Mm -hmm. Lost, for example, it's these old like archive recordings of like Dooku and and people who Dooku knew in a previous phase of his life. And yeah, as Kirsty said with Aphra, it's this like personal account of her exploits that she's keeping. What it actually played like to me is, can you remember in Solo, they show Lando briefly recording like part of his own adventures? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was yeah. very much a similar vibe to that. It's like they have YouTube channels. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Afro would definitely make a good their YouTuber. Podcast. <laughs> oh my God. All streamer. podcasters. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And it, it raises a lot of interesting questions from the narrative, right? Like, you know, how much of a reliable narrator is Afra really? And obviously we even hear her going over and saying, actually scratch that or change that. I sounded too mushy. And it like adds layers to the character. Yeah, no, which I appreciated because with this drama specifically, we're very firmly entrenched in Afra's perspective on things. Like it's very unusual to get like an outsider's view on what's going on in Afra's life, you know, and that's both like a blessing and a curse because it's really interesting she'll get a very detailed feel for the type of person that Afra is like with all like her complexities and vulnerabilities and just how bloody obnoxious she is a lot of the time <laughs> um which well, is- so this is what I'm interested in because we haven't read the comics mm. so when she's like recounting her interactions with Vader I'm like how does she sound so fearless with him she's talking to him like she'd be talking to anyone else is that really how she talks to him or is it like different from this perspective versus what's actually shown in the comics? Yeah. Where it's more like of, a, of a, an objective view. This is something where it actually benefited me to listen to it twice because there is actually a part in that early sequence where Aphra encounters Vader for the first time where she admits that she's describing it in such a way where she sounds more impressive than she okay. actually did when they first <laughs> met. So yeah, that like really gets to the root of the unreliable narrator stuff. Yeah, because it struck me. I was like, she's just talking to him like she'd be talking to anyone. <laughs> which which is very, like, funny. Like, I, I like that they do that because it's just, like, such a an incongruous thing where you have him, like, heavy breathing and angry and everything. And she's just, like, cracking jokes and, hey, buddy pal. Yeah. 
Like the whole time I was listening to that first encounter between them, I remembered like some very early like online discourse where I know some people were shipping Afro Invader before like more information came out about Afro's sexuality. Um, and mm. yeah, like just listen listening to it in this context is like so absurd to see them to think of them in that sort of way it's like does not compute yeah. does not compute i mean people ship everything but yes. for me it was almost like a weird twist on like the ahsoka anakin relationship where mm. it's almost like this begrudging i don't know because he's in like, like the grumpy old man yeah <laughs> incarnation now so it's like does she remind him of some shade of ahsoka where it's just like they're not afraid of you and they're they're just gonna like stand up for themselves and not take your shit I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I did really like how Vader was done here. Um, like in the first instance, I thought the vo- I thought the voice was pretty good. Obviously, it's no James Earl mm. Jones. <laughs> um, but yeah, I could completely buy it as Vader, and obviously, it helps that Vader has the voice distortion and stuff, which yeah makes it easier to replicate. Um, and yeah, it's just interesting to see Vader at this point in his history. Because a big part of why he's going to Afra in the first place in the context of this story is that he's being humiliated after the events of the original Star Wars and that he needs to rebuild his credibility, essentially. So he's asking Afra mm-hmm. for help with getting what he needs to do that. That's honestly something that had never occurred to me. Mm. Like, it totally makes sense, but I'd never really thought about the time gap between A New Hope and Empire and how that would have, like, changed... Um, the Emperor's perspective on on Vader at all. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I haven't read the comics, but I get the impression that is a very big thread in the comics, like the fallout essentially from those events. And yeah, yeah. like it is really interesting as story material. But yeah, that takes us to another related point to this drama that is very much an adaptation of the comic books. Like I'm not sure how many of the comics it actually adapts directly, but I know it's a few and you can really tell that listening to this because it's very episodic. Um, But yeah, I was wondering how that played to you, Kirsty, in terms of this not really being completely original as a story, but actually adapting previously existing comics. Yeah, so I haven't read the comics, so I actually feel like that was a good thing going into this because... This, the story was new to me and I've, I've seen some people who were very familiar with the comics kind of express a bit of disappointment. They wanted something a bit more original. Yeah. Um, so for me, that part worked well. It did, however, have that episodic feel. Yeah. So I could tell even, I didn't know that going in, but as I was listening, I was like, this feels like a comic book. It has that sense of like, yeah, as you said, this episodic element to it yeah um and it it felt quite repetitive in places so i had a bit of trouble following the story as i said um and i I feel because of that it didn't didn't have like the dramatic climax that i was expecting yeah no i feel that's fair like i was reading interviews with the author um where she was going into what was new and apparently a lot of the new stuff was building up that relationship between afro and sana yeah, and that was one of my favourite parts. Yeah, no, exactly. I feel like that was one of the best parts and one of the more successful parts. And I feel like if there was an attempt to give it like a, a narrative thrust, you know, to have momentum throughout the story, I feel like the constant returns to that dynamic and to giving you a little bit more information about the history between them across the story, I felt that was 
what was trying to bridge the stories. Um, but I agree with you in that it didn't completely come off as convincing me that this was like a natural singular story. You know, it felt like a string of disconnected adventures that were very loosely bound. Yeah. Yeah, and as I said, it just felt a little repetitive in place. And I think part of that was like very much intentional. It was Afra kind of going over what happened with her parents and how she felt about them. And then you could see her kind of as a result of that unresolved um, anger and disappointment towards them, like kind of projecting that onto Vader. Yeah. And becoming, you know, I, I hate to use this term, but shorthand is daddy issues, right? Yeah. Um, kind of like seeking his approval and validation. And, and towards the end, that becomes really explicit in that she says she no longer needs that and she wants to be her own boss. Um, so there is that growth there. Yeah. But as a result, I did find some of the talk about her parents throughout and how boring she found her childhood a bit kind of tiresome. Yeah. Like it was perhaps stressed a bit too much. I did find like there was, it was interesting to me how there were parallels drawn, for example, between Afra's feelings about her mother and her insistence that her mother was weak. And then when Afra goes and sees the mortician on Naboo, who like saw to Padme after Padme died, like in how there's all this equation between her own mother and Padme, um, which yeah forms an interesting parallel to the stuff that's going on with Afra and Vader, because yeah, daddy issues to the max. Um, and yeah, like it was really interesting to see that stuff because she obviously has a lot of anger and disappointment and sadness because her mother died in a futile attempt to protect her basically i think in a way that was where the subjectivity of the story sort of worked against it because we don't really see all that much challenge to the perspective that afra has where she equates like this like maternal protectiveness with weakness yeah i wanted to see more pushback against that perspective if that makes sense no, I agree. And it was interesting to hear her talk about weakness tied to love because that's obviously something that's kind of explored throughout Star Wars. And of course, the, the overall message always tends to be that love is actually a strength, but like that attachment can be a weakness if you let it consume you. So to hear her talking about that in the context of her parents and then kind of bringing the threads together with Vader, Anakin and Padme and Luke, um, it was kind of interesting to get like that foil sense so you you have these different families kind of exploring um how love shapes their lives i guess and kind of ends things between these characters and how they feel about it when they go on because her kind of putting the pieces together and like goading well not goading i suppose but just kind of like trying to feel vader out as she mentions things related to padme and luke i I loved those parts because his silences were so loud yeah (laughs) No, exactly. You could feel Anakin thinking about it. Yeah, those were some of the most powerful parts of the story. And I kind of disliked myself for feeling this way, but in a way, the strongest and most resonant parts of the drama for me were those like points of connection. You know, the whole, sorry to go back to it again, but the whole thing with like Padme sending that message to the mortician, like that was quite poignant. And it's sort of interesting because... Star Wars is so detailed and every like aspect of these characters and like every point in their in their lives has been considered. Um so in another story, you know, if a character dies, you're never gonna get any insight at all into the nature of the funeral arrangements and that sort of thing. You know, it's almost like mm. unique to Star Wars in that way. <laughs> um 
but yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. And I was also kind of appalled by that sequence because you really see a very, very dark edge to Afro's character and her droids in that sequence because they're going all out with the torture. And honestly, I'm not sure how much I liked that. You know, like I was kind of like, this has gone too far for me. Like this isn't like cute and quirky anymore. <laughs> Oh, maybe I have a twisted mind. I really like Triple Zero. <laughs> I thought he was so funny. Because especially the fact that you actually see him do an impression of Freepio. Like, obviously, he's designed to be this, like, tw- dark twist on him. But I just thought he was so compelling. Like, he's one of the reasons I'm tempted to check out the comics now. Yeah. No, like, they definitely were entertaining. And I really did like them for the most part. It was just in that scene. Like, I think the screams. I don't like hearing people scream. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I guess in, in the original trilogy, we see that Tarkin and Vader are setting up to torture Leia, but we don't actually see the effects of that. So it is a little shielded. Exactly. And I clearly just have intense sympathy for morticians. So... <laughs> it, it, it kind of raises a lot of questions about Afra, right? Because she's such a compelling, engaging, and I think she's likable character to follow, but also she's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and has seemingly no conscience. Yeah, she's very much an anti-hero, I think. And I did appreciate that they were bold enough to really truly make her an anti-hero. You know, she's very unapologetic about who and what she is which I appreciated. And there's no like dawning moment where she's like, oh, I need to be a better person. And like, obviously in most stories that's sort of required for the narrative. And in a way, the fact that she doesn't change might be part of the point we made earlier where there's not like a narrative building, you know, because in a typical narrative, the purpose of the narrative is to follow the characters as they change and evolve. And Afro doesn't really do that in a very clear way. Like you say, there's subtle instances of that with the whole like breaking free of the Vader relationship and stuff but it's not quite as strongly defined as it would be in a more traditional narrative yeah and all her sense of morality really comes down to actually being more about Sana yeah so it's like oh I shouldn't have done this to hurt you but not because it was like the wrong thing to do but because I ruined our relationship and I was too afraid and yeah yeah. No, I did really like that that stuff with Afra and Sana, and I felt like those two performances were really strong as well. Um, it, like in a way, I think they were really freed by the fact that they didn't have pre-existing performances that they had to like base their performances on. So they were essentially yeah. setting the groundwork for those characters, and I really bought them both in those parts. Yeah, I know the comics have been out for a few years and. A lot of people are hugely invested in them, but because this was new to me, it really just struck me how wonderful it was to see this romance between two queer women of colour yeah. in Star Wars. Like it was really lovely, and I, I want that in a TV show or a movie now, please. Yeah, no, that would be awesome. And yeah, like I just wanted more of a resolution, I think, to their story than we ended up getting, because there is kind of a resolution where obviously Sana is almost on the verge of killing Afra because she's so hurt and betrayed by the way in which Afra has screwed her over, basically, and not mm. done justice to their relationship. And obviously she ultimately does not do that. Um, so progress. <laughs> I'm mushy, to use Afra's term myself. Um, and I probably would have liked to Oh, see you, some... you want them to get back together? Yeah, I'd like a reconciliation. <laughs> 
Like, I, I think they could be really good for each other, basically, in the long term. Like, if Afra were to sort her shit out, basically. Yeah, because I don't know, is this how far the comics go? Or do they go beyond this? Because I was under the impression, I don't, maybe this was like, I, I just didn't keep up with kind of the general perception in the fandom. But I thought when Vader throws her out the airlock, I thought she actually did die then. Oh, wow. So I was like, wait, but he's about to do that. But then we're going to continue getting her talking so obviously that's not the end for her mm. so I, i'm not quite sure i really need to go and check out the comics now yeah i'm pretty sure the story extends beyond what's covered here because like in a cynical way this like audio drama is about check out the comics if you want to see what happens to afra next like which is okay totes legit um but I, I would need to check that because yeah like the comics is like the main aspect of star wars where i'm completely clueless i'm like there are comics about Star Wars. So I guess I'm curious as to whether this is the most, the latest canon interactions between her and Sana, yes. or if there's more after this that's already been told. Coming back to the unreliable narrator thing again, we're only getting her perception of Sana. So when she meets up with her again, you know, with Leia and Han and everything, it, you get the impression that Sana is 100% done with her and couldn't care less and is happy to kill her and everything. But are there actually feelings still there? And Afra's just kind of oblivious to it? Mm. Yeah, I feel like it can't be the final chapter in the story between them. Basically, there's got to be more to it than that. And yeah, I would be very interested to know what happens next in the comics and see if that relationship has gone into more. Um, I actually have a quote here from Sarah Kuhn where she discusses the stuff that she brought in with Sana. Um, so I'll just read that. Um, so this is from an interview on styles.com. Can you tell us anything about the new or extended scenes? And then Sarah. Many of the new scenes involve Sana Staros. I've always been intrigued by their relationship because I love both of those characters and a lot of what we've seen is the bitter aftermath of them. And even in that bitter aftermath, they have so much chemistry. I really wanted to know what they were like when they were together and how cool that I got this job because I got to write some of that myself. I also think Afra is extra fun to write when she's trying to be smooth, but something unsettles her, and a beautiful, impossibly cool lady that she suddenly connects with at university unsettles her a whole lot. I loved writing them trying to court each other, because of course it is completely chaotic and somehow involves Afra constantly falling off things and all sorts of other hijinks. <laughs> but it also reveals so much about both of them, all these softer things they're trying so hard to keep hidden, all the feelings they're so afraid of. So, yeah, I think it's interesting to think about that quote in what Sarah's, and what Sarah is saying there. Because based on that, I think the relationship must play very differently here in the audio drama from how it does in the comics. Because it sounds like mm. in the comics, we probably only see them when they're like sparring and when there's lots of bitterness because the relationship ended. Whereas here, we're seeing yeah. how the relationship begins. Yeah, I love that contrast, and I <laughs> love that they use like the Anadala pear scene music whenever Chelly's talking about how hot Sana is. Yes, <laughs> she's like her beautiful brown eyes, her beautiful midnight tresses. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, that was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, like so I, I really loved all the Mushiafra stuff. Like I lived for that because, like, she is a really fun character. Like she's very cocky. She's very self confident. But I really need my characters to be vulnerable, basically. So I, I think it would have been like an entertaining jaunt, you know, if it had lacked that more vulnerable side of her. But that was very crucial to me, actually, buying Afra as a person more than 
I don't know, like a cartoon character, I guess. Yeah, so I think that's where this format works. It didn't work in every instance for me, but in terms of like her able to kind of reveal those things unintentionally and then and then say, oh no, we've got, we got to scratch that later. That's too much. Um, yeah, I think that was important to the overall story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know they're very different in terms of subject matter and the sorts of characters they're following, but for you, how did this compare to Jedi Lost? I think, oh, it's really hard because I think overall I preferred the story of Jedi Lost, but I really love Aphra as a character. Mm, yeah. And I really loved her relationship with Sana and I, I just also loved her and Vader together. Yeah. So I think plot-wise I was a bit like, where is this actually going? You know, she's trying to find Luke for him and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't find that stuff all that interesting. But just the, the character relationships, I think I got a lot more out of that than I did like Dooku and Yoda, for example. <laughs> <laughs> surely that's your favorite romance in star wars kirsty come on <laughs> it is the the canonical force bond <laughs> precedent indicates that i should be into that but for some reason size difference didn't find it sorry. as compelling <laughs> sorry age gap <laughs> we're just going for all the air of free tags for um dooku and yoda now yeah oh, that's that's not my ship so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um to be serious again um with jedi lost i'm, I'm basically with kirsty where i feel like the story of jedi lost was stronger um but yeah typically i'm not like a huge dooku stan you know and he's not this type of character that would usually interest me but i feel that story was very well done yeah i and i i liked it because it connected dooku with this past that he even like I can't remember exactly what it was, but he'd like forgotten about it or didn't fully understand what was happening because he was taken away so young. Yeah, exactly. I um, think he was given to the Jedi when he was an infant, basically, and then as an adolescent Padawan, he was reunited with his siblings, like without realizing mm. they were his siblings. And yeah, then obviously lots of drama ensues. Um, and yeah, that's like a great foundation for drama. And I guess I, I did really enjoy Aphra's like backstory as well, and it's interesting. Although there are there are obviously also stereotypical aspects to that type of backstory, you know, where you have the mother who's the one who's like very sensible and no nonsense and just wants to like keep everyone safe, and then it's like the daredevil husband who has like all these like ambitions of like doing greater things and is like willing to endanger his family to pursue his ambitions. I feel like that's quite well-trod ground. And it mm. also reinforced my conviction that Star Wars desperately needs to tell more stories about mothers. And I was going to yeah. say, it would have been quite cool if Aphra's mum was the academic. Yes, exactly. It's a really simple change. To... Like, it doesn't require many changes at all. But yeah, just make the mum the academic. And yeah, I would love that. But... It's not what we got, but hopefully there can be future stories where they like diversify in that sort of way. Yeah, and to be fair, like you know, mother and father aside, this story was really great for compelling, um, strongly written, nuanced female characters. So definitely a step forward. Exactly. Yeah, I have another good quote from Sarah Kun actually. So let me find that. Okay, so there's a great interview with Sarah Kun that was done by the Tatooine Times and I'm just like eternally reminded of how many Star Wars fan sites there are and the great names people come up with for them. So yeah, could you read out the quote I have highlighted 
um, Kirsty. It's a bit of a longer one, but I think it's good. Uh, yeah. I feel like the importance of her presence in the Star Wars universe really can't be understated. She's a queer woman of colour. That's, that's amazing, Kuhn said. I'm an Asian American woman. I grew up loving Star Wars, but I never really saw a face like mine in Star Wars. That's gotten a little better over the years. I think things have gotten much more inclusive as the franchise has grown, but obviously there's still more work to be done. I think it's important for everyone who loves Star Wars to also be able to see that they can exist in that galaxy. And not only can they exist, but they can be really centred in a way that could drive the story. I think everyone deserves to see themselves as a hero, and I also think that we need to see all different kinds of heroes, with all different faces, because it sort of expands our idea of what a hero can be, Kuhn explained. One thing that I particularly have always loved about Dr. Aphra is that she's so unapologetic about who she is. A lot of times, from my experience, when I see a woman of colour character introduced in a big franchise, I'm expecting that she will be cannon fodder. She will die, or she will be some kind of sidekick that's really there to teach us a lesson about racism or something like that. And I feel like Dr. Aphra is one of those characters that just gets to have really cool adventures. We need a lot more of that. It's really exciting to get to see a character who has the face like mine centred in a franchise like this. Yeah. I feel like that's a really, really nice quote that nails the heart of why this character is so significant. And yeah, also what just makes her so fun and joyful like as a contribution to Star Wars. Because yeah, like I completely agree with Sarah Kuhn that it's really essential that we tell stories about women of colour that are really incredibly diverse you know like that there shouldn't be any one type of story that's being told there should be like as many types of stories as people can imagine and those stories can be serious they can be funny they can be light-hearted they can be dark they can be romantic they can be wacky you know just on and on and I feel like Afra does a good job of being that you know because it is like often quite slapstick adventures and it's it is what it is and it's really nice forces so yeah I enjoyed it yeah and it is just like really cool to see a queer woman of color as would you call her the villain She's the hero of her own story, I guess. Yeah. She's the protagonist. I'd say anti-hero. Like, yeah. It's it's hard because she's doing absolutely terrible things, as you say, like all that torture and everything. Yeah. But she's very, she's, she prides herself on being very much out for herself. That's the thing. And that's kind of like the end point of the story is that she realizes she actually doesn't need to serve Darth Vader and be like an asset for the Imperials. She can just be by herself. And that's not necessarily a heroic thing, but in terms of personal growth, it's something. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and there's empowerment in that type of story, which is really nice to see. Um, so yeah, like I definitely enjoyed Afra. Um, I, I I do want to learn more about her story, and I honestly would love a follow up audio drama, you know, like a sequel of sorts, like maybe adapting more of the comics. Uh, I think I'd prefer a novel. Mm, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, don't. Apologize. I'm just not an audiobook person, so yeah. Like I must say that with audiobooks, I do find I have to listen to them twice to even remotely follow what's going on. The first time it's like the words wash over me, but they're not really being digested, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So yeah, like in an ideal world, I'd want a novel. But if it's purely a choice between comics and audio drama, I'd probably choose an audio drama over comics because there's like a hierarchy for me, you know, like number one is novels, then audio dramas, then comics. And to be clear, I do not think comics are bad by 
any means. You know, there are fantastic comics, there are fantastic graphic novels out there. It's just not my format, and it also gets really expensive when you have to buy multiple issues, and I'm tight. So, yeah. If we're choosing anything, like, from a dream... Uh, my dream would be a Disney Plus series for Afro, oh, but yeah. I think there'd be a lot of constraints because how how then do you like not bring in Vader if that's such a key relationship, and then how does it not get overshadowed by Vader because he's obviously such a cultural icon? Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how they get around like that, but I'd just love to see her on screen. Yeah, like, and I think my question would be like, where what would the starting point be? Because I. F- Again, I really need to find this out, but I feel like this audio drama adapts the first few the first few stretches in the Afro comic book. So this is like the first storylines we got with that character in the canon in which he appears, basically. Um, and it's like, well, if we were to get a TV show, would that be another adaptation of these stories or would they go with like a completely different starting point? I feel like they'd have to go with a different starting point because this is like already an adaption of a story that already exists and it's possible to play it out too much well yeah i guess because if she survives this part then what's she doing throughout the rest of the original trilogy and does she survive beyond that what's she doing after what is she alive during the mandalorian time (laughs) is she alive in the sequel trilogy oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yes we do see maz kanata maz kanata appears in this audio drama very briefly at the beginning um and like mainly just to be pissed off Vafra, to be honest. But there's joy in that. I always like seeing a bit of Maz Kanata. So yeah. That was one of the voices that I found really jarring. I was like, wait, is that supposed to be Maz? <laughs> yes. Give me a second. It took me a while to be like, who's that? That one and Leia, who just kind of sounded like a more pissed off Padme. Yeah. Which makes sense because it was Cat Tabor. But I was just like, mm, some of them aren't quite working for me, and some of them really did. Yeah. No, I think that point goes back to my earlier one about how the best voices in this are the voices for Afro and Sana because they don't need to worry about emulating other actors and unfortunately I feel like when there are voice actors performing roles that we all know the live action actors for them is just not as successful basically it always sounds like a bargain basement version of whatever character (laughs) it is you know like and I feel mean because the actors are doing as good a job as possible you know and it's very hard to find like dead on voice alikes but it did break my immersion basically almost every time the characters purporting to be Luke, Leia or Han spoke (laughs) I didn't think Luke and Han were that bad (laughs) obviously they weren't Mark and Harrison sure I could kind of tell what they were going for (laughs) I feel like Han was almost as bad as Leia for me in this. I, I really <laughs> did not get on with that voice. But luckily he wasn't in it much. So it wasn't a huge bugbear. What about Chewie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter Mayhew. How can anyone approach that? Or, or Eunice? God. <laughs> to be honest, if they wanted to use like an actual film actor for one of these audio dramas, they should probably just do like a Chewie audio drama. <laughs> with like audio description so it's just like a long soundtrack of like <laughs> and then like someone like speaking over it very calmly translating what's being said Eunice would do that oh dear <laughs> yeah he'd be up for anything yeah. <laughs> sorry I'm just being stupid now 
I think so far these, I mean, obviously Star Wars has a long history of audio radio dramas anyway, but these two new ones in the Disney area, I think are being received really well. So I expect to see more of them. Yeah, no, definitely. And I feel like it's a really interesting format for them to work with um, because yeah, like I'm fortunate in that the nature of my job means it's possible for me to listen to these things while I'm working. Um, which, yeah, is the perfect thing, really, because, yeah, I need to listen to them several times and I, I don't really have five dedicated hours in my schedule where I can literally just sit down and listen to an audiobook and do nothing else. Um, so, yeah, I feel like they're perfect listening for those sorts of circumstances. And, yeah, I really hope we get another one. I, is there a particular character that you think would suit the audio format, Kirsty? Even though I know it's not really our format. <laughs> Um. Oh, I'm not sure actually. Obi Wan's secret diary, Tatooine. I was going to say I we're getting this the Disney Plus series, so that's unlikely. But I I thought someone isolated maybe yeah someone like him who's kind of sharing that perspective and maybe looking back at events that we already know, but like really sharing how they made him feel. But we're, we're going to get that in the series, presumably. So. Yeah. So I think when these audio dramas really lean into subjectivity and like individual characters, experiences and feelings, I feel like that's when they're at their best. It's like this Afro one, for example, like the parts I enjoyed the most were the most like emotive bits, you know, where she's talking about feelings and she's talking about her relationship with Sana and stuff. It worked less well for me when they were describing like what are basically action sequences you know, I find that very difficult to follow when it's being described in an audio format. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I feel like five hours of solid introspection from a character like Obi-Wan. Well, I'd be down for that. Just, yeah, lots of yeah, nice. Or even a character who we don't have a lot of internality for. I was going to say Padme, but I know that we have the books, but I still feel like there's so much... There's so much of Padme left to uncover. Yeah. Like, if, if they wanted to, I feel like you could really go into a lot of her moral conflicts around Anakin and um, the politics of the time. Because there's so much that she doesn't show. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, if Lucasfilm were to approach me and ask for a pitch for an audio drama, which I'm sure they will one day, um, <laughs> my pitch would be Padme on that flight to Mustafar in Revenge of the Sith. And she knows full well that she might not survive that encounter. And mm. with that in mind, she records like a message basically to a, her unborn child in the event that she doesn't survive, you know, like explaining like the relationship with their father and how like their love story and like her values and her hopes and her dreams and all that sort of thing. I, I feel there could be really interesting stuff in that sort of perspective and really just Padme like after she's in a relationship with Anakin. So I know we have the books by E.K. Johnston, but they're very much about Padme pre-Anakin, you know, Padme as a politician. Yeah. And that is a really interesting character still, but I feel like there's much more like inner conflict and turmoil like after that relationship enters the scene because obviously it's messy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Another character who I'd like to see more of so I, I'll say this for the audio drama, but really, I I hope that we get her as a novel or or anything going forward. Is Enfys Nest? Oh yeah, that would be awesome. So, yeah, I think Erin Kellerman told someone at 
celebration that she was unlikely to come back for like a movie or a series of something but I find it hard to believe that they'd just leave that character and not do anything more with her because there's so much you could do there yeah and I feel like she was one of the major standouts from Solo she was one of the characters that stuck most strongly in people's minds whatever their opinions of that movie were yeah yeah so there's lots of potential still holding out for that Kira Disney Plus series <laughs> yes oh my god <laughs> I, I would die if that were announced obviously not literally die you could get but... the Kira and Maul diaries that could be an audio drama <laughs> oh so you, you could do anything yeah exactly endless possibilities bring in Amelia Clark. yeah <laughs> she'd so do that <laughs> <laughs> oh bless you Amelia like yeah I really hope we get like the further adventures of Kira at some point because yeah that's an awesome character and I, I just want it in my life um okay cool the, are there any final words to say about Afra, or should we get to the sign off I guess that I am pretty tempted to go and check out the comics now um awesome because like I said I've seen a few reviews from people who were disappointed having read both or lis- listened to this now and and already being familiar with those stories mm. but I kind of want to see how they differ now like how how things have been adapted and and what stayed the same yeah that'd be really interesting definitely report back to me like if you do check them out because yeah <laughs> I would like to hear that too will do okay awesome so let's bring this to a close I'm Rachel and you can find me on twitter at rachel1918 I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on twitter at scavengers horde until next time, bye! Bye!